Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Today's episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast is brought to you by Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, Athletes Made Here. The Sports Performance Center was developed with one goal in mind, to maximize human performance through movement and recovery. Their team of expert performance sports coaches and trainers will guide you to achieve your performance goals. That's the Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, located at the Star in Frisco. This episode is also brought to you by Allen Dental Studio, located off Bethany drive in Allen. Their office was designed with you, the patient, in mind, which means an excellent and enjoyable experience. From cosmetics to implants, you deserve a perfect smile, and Allen Dental Studio can make that happen. Also, don't want to leave out another longtime friend of the podcast, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes. With locations in Carrollton and Dallas, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes offers an affordable, high-quality alternative to senior living. Call now at 469-400-7650. That's Texen, spelled T-E-X-S-E-N, Texen Senior Residential Care Homes. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welsh, being joined by Devin Hassan and Brian Murphy. Gentlemen, it is Monday morning, and um, whereas last week we began the podcast talking about uh, the number of high school football teams that we had left in the playoffs, we were down to four. As we sit here on Monday, that number has been whittled all the way down to one. And uh, we will get to the teams later on that uh, that had their seasons come to an end over the weekend. We can talk about the, uh, the sole survivor, the last man standing. Man, Brian, the Frisco Lone Star hype train just keeps on rolling as they uh, as they are bound for the state semifinals for the second time in their history. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, what a uh, just another emphatic performance by the Rangers. You know, we uh, obviously dove pretty uh, pretty lengthy into their uh, into their regional final against Lancaster last week, as was voted on by y'all as the game of the week. Um, and just how is Lone Star going to be able to kind of break the mold of high powered offenses that just haven't been able to get their hit their stride against that? Stat- at Lancaster defense, and sounds like it was just uh, kind of just business as usual for the Rangers. It was. I mean, how many times has Lone Star started a game this season with a Marvin Mims touchdown like two or three plays in? And that's exactly what they did. You should know what's coming at this point. That's like... And so, you know how we talked yeah. last week? It's like, all right, how are these number one receivers getting shut down against Lancaster? Uh, well, they have... I found out they have Lorando Johnson. He's a four-star cornerback committed to LSU. I hear they're pretty good. And so, I got that was the first time I really got to see him and see what he was all about. And Lancaster's strategy was, we're going to put Lorando Johnson on Mims and go mano y mano. And Marvin Mims won that battle by a mile. He had 10 catches, over 200 receiving yards, two big touchdowns. He had the 85-yarder on the second play of the game. So the first play of the game, Garrett Rangel gets sacked. And I'm like, oh. And it was like, snap the ball, he dropped back collapsed, sacked instantly, and I was like, oh no. Lancaster's, <laughs> all, I was like, oh no. I was like, I was like, this is not, I mean, Lancaster is the real deal. Like, this might get, you know, I'm not used to seeing, you know, Lone Star, that happened to Lone Star. I mean, it was just one play, and I'm just internally freaking out, you know, because I'm, by this point, I'm kind of invested. I'm kind of, right, come on, Lone Star. Um, and then the second play from their own 15-yard line just bombs it to, to Marvin Mams, and I was just like, okay. 
they're back. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to freak out about. Um, it was kind of the Trey Bradford show. I know we talked about him uh, a lot too, the Lancaster running back. Um, was he? He's a four-star also, three or four-star. Either way, he's a stud. Um, and he was kind of having his way. Uh, he had two touchdowns in that, that first half. But after that, it was all Lone Star. Lancaster mm-hmm. couldn't do anything. They scored, I think, just seven points the rest of the way from early on in the second quarter. And it just, like I said so many times before, Lone Star just does not have a weakness. They're, they you know, they gave up some big run plays early to Bradford and whatnot, but after that they buckled down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Rice, Jr., the quarterback for Lancaster, he couldn't do anything. He was running for his life. He threw two big interceptions uh, late in that game, and, and that was that's all she wrote. So I'm seeing here, yeah, Rice, Jr., um, you know, held just 209 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, 11 carries, though, for just two yards. Yeah, so he, it sounds like that pass rush was bringing him down behind the He was running for his life. Really? And like I said, Lone Star just sends three guys. That's all they need. Jaden Jones, number 77. That shouldn't work the way that's it, it doesn't. As it efficiently doesn't. as it does for them. Three guys. Jaden Jones is 6'8", and you, yeah. the rest of the you know, decent other guys, on, or Dawson, other guys on the defensive line, man, yeah. you just look at them, they're just massive. They look like college football players already. Um, they're, they're huge. They, they get pressure, and then when you have that linebacking core, you know, wreaking havoc, it's and then the huge secondary. Montrese Warren had the big interception, mm-hmm. and then Blake Gocher had the kind of game-clinching interception, you know, late when they're trying to make something happen, but, you know, Lancaster couldn't do anything. And, and Lone Star, what was it, the most points Lancaster had given up was 42 to Highland Park in an overtime game? Well, Lone Star put up 38. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, you know, we saw what McKinney North and the Colony um, and Independence were able to do, or not able to do against yeah. them, you know, offensively. And Lone Star still played their game. They, Marvin Mims still had his. Trace Buckler still had his. Um, Brandon Spencer had one of the mo- more impressive plays I've seen from Lone Star all year. He caught it in traffic. You know, it looked like two guys were on him. Somehow brings it in and breaks a tackle, goes mm-hmm. in the end zone. Before earlier in the game, he catches a pass on the near sideline, literally runs a guy over. And I saw he, him tweeted. Uh, he tweeted that play out mm-hmm. uh, the next day. He said something about the weight room or something. He's like, I've been in the weight room or something. So it's not just Marvin Mims. We've been saying that. I've been saying that for a while now. Um, other guys have been stepping up and making big plays. This, like I said, this team is just so. So well-rounded, and it's it's scary. And it helps when you have a quarterback that just continues to, I mean, play so far beyond his years, man. I mean, this is as good a defense as Garrett Rangel has seen yeah. up to this point in the season. And he just throws for 315, four touchdowns, a pick. I mean, it's just another... And he's just a sophomore. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Wow. I'm not going to say anything because I picked against... I, are you are you done <laughs> picking against Lone Star? <laughs> no, I'm not. Why? Because they're running into a team that has been just as dominant as they, yeah. they have. Den Ryan has not had a game decided by less than 24 mm-hmm. They haven't played anyone. I was talking... They're, they're so I ta- five rounds deep in the playoffs. I was... Well, they, no. They haven't played... They, have they played a team like Highland Park? Have no, they played no, a team no, like Lancaster? I'm, I'm yeah. not going to d- dispute that. But when you get to the state semifinals, you can't say that you haven't played anybody. Okay, compa- I'm saying compared to Lone <laughs> yes, Star, they Lone Star has anymore. a better resume mm-hmm. in terms of if we're voting for number one in the college football, but it doesn't matter. You just play who you're lined up against. Mm-hmm. If you can argue, you know, Region 2 is far tougher than Region 1. But the fact yeah. of the matter is they got there and they've been impressed with doing so. Um, I haven't decided yet. Yes, I did pick against Lone Star against Highland Park. I did pick against them last week. It's working out well, well for them <laughs> so far. Um, I'm on the last in the picket line, so we got that for going for me. Where do you have? I just, I just think I think that Denton Ryan um, is a team that's gotten close in recent years. Just oh yeah, able to get over so, the hump. It's what their fourth straight year in the state and, semis. And I just, yeah. you know, it's it's a game I'm gonna have to really look at because it's it's gonna be an incredible matchup. Yeah. But um, I mean, you can say that yes, they haven't played a Highland Park, they haven't played a Lancaster, but I mean, maybe Denton Ryan is better than both those teams. 
they seem to be even more complete package in terms of offense and defense because yeah. they've been just like Lone Star, they've been dominant on both sides of the ball. So I got to see in the press box. I feel like at the Star on Saturday, it was just everyone was there. You know, every you know, you had TXHSFB Media Mafia luminaries were literally. You had the, all the DRC there. You had you know Joe Hoyt and those guys, and then you had you know Gossett was there. It was just everyone was there. And then I saw newspaper Steve. He comes up ah, to me. Yes, uh, I hadn't seen him all season. Old Steve Gamble because Dent Ryan obviously played earlier at the yeah. Star. And uh, he comes up to me, and you know, he's we're talking about Lone Star and Ryan. I said we're gonna have to put the boxing gloves on, you know, <laughs> next week. And he told me he's like, yeah, I won't even need the gloves and this and that. And and I asked him, I was like, man, so as Ryan, I mean, obviously they're on, you know, the steamrolling everyone, but have they played a Lancaster or Highland Park? You know, I kind of kind of knew. And he was like, no, obviously not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he, we were we were just talking for during the Prosper Rockwall game, which we'll get to in a little bit, because mm-hmm. um, that was what was going on um, after the Den Ryan game, but. Yeah, we were kind of previewing it. It's it's it's, it's going to be fun. It's, Absolutely, it's I mean, it feels like these two have kind of been either them or Highland Park were on a collision course with Ryan oh, at this juncture sure. of the playoffs in for some sure. fashion. And yeah, you wonder how that experience does play into things on Ryan's end because they've been so close for so many years. It's just been Highland Park that's been the uh, it's been the boogeyman for them. But now that that's out of the way, who knows? Maybe this is the year that Ryan breaks through. They've obviously got a ton of talent with you know quarterback Seth Hennigan, running back you know Monty Bailey, who just went nuts yeah, in their did. regional final, and then of course Drew Sanders, one of the top players in the country. Well, and, and Billy Bowman. Bowman. I mean, yeah. they've got three yeah, I forget about Billy very, Bowman. very good receivers. Yeah. Yes. Um, they always have. Always have breakers. such great receiver depth, and, and, and their defense has been—they've churned out D one, you know, project prospect after project after prospect uh, for years. So, like I said, it's going to be of all the. I mean, regardless of classification, that may be the most. You know, get the most eyeballs of any of any state semifinal game this week. Yeah, it's just man, this this road that Lone Star is having to take to <laughs> to get to this elusive state championship is such is so daunting. With Highland Park one week, then Lancaster the next week, and the winner of you know of Lone Star and Denton Ryan could very well be staring down the number two ranked team in the state, Shadow Creek. And don't forget, Lone Star also played College Station, a team that won state just yeah. two years ago. Granted, it's not the same team, but they faced them in the second round, a team that had been there and done that in recent years. Yeah. So. I think they have the slight edge over Ryan just because of that. If they can get through this thing unscathed, man, it'll be as far as just like championship resumes. This has got to be one of the. It would be one of the more impressive ones in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, man, Frisco Lone Star is still kicking. They play Denton Ryan. That game is going to be 2 p.m. Saturday at Allen Eagle Stadium. Um, let's see. So we can talk about some of the teams now that had their seasons come to an end. We'll get to Prosper in a sec. Um, while we were on the theme of, of number one ranked teams, we can talk Argyle, who had their season come to a very very surprising I did not expect end. that. I did not expect yes, that. Yes, this all. was uh, this was the second half of my uh, of my two games that I was at in Waco all day on Friday, covering um, out of McLean Stadium and Argyle. It happened to him again, man. Something about this Waco La Vega Argyle rivalry. Only this in the playoffs. Is, I know. They've played each other four times now over the last two seasons, and it's two and two, but La Vega's won the two games in the playoffs. So something about the postseason just brings out the nasty side of La Vega in this matchup. And man, this one was nasty. I mean, you just you don't see teams, you know, put it on a team like Argyle like this all too often. This was, I believe, the number was uh, this was their most lopsided loss since two thousand and five. Whoa, um, forty-four to twenty, and that's again with a Damn. touchdown for Argyle that came within the final minute of the game. So this was forty-four to thirteen for a large chunk of the uh, of the fourth quarter, and. 
so much of like these two teams played earlier in the season back in week two and Argyle just pounced on them they got out to a 28 to 7 lead you know La Vega made a spirited charge there in the second half Argyle was able to hold on for a 14 point victory but for a team that is so run centric like La Vega um, it's you have to just make them play from behind and make them have to deviate from what they like to do and pretty much from the get-go this game was played on La Vega's terms and La Vega didn't even start with the ball but they got momentum immediately they forced a three and out and then they blocked the ensuing punt out of the back of the end zone for a safety so right there sidelines going nuts and then Lavega gets the ball back and they uh, I believe they went uh, what, what, 49 yards in 12 plays so just a grinding drive and um, yeah you really got to see what this Lavega team is about and it's really like it's one of two things it's either there's really no like short to intermediate passing game they're either going to run their uh, their stable of backs or they were just going to chuck it deep and see what happened because that's like when you have a team like that what our guy was doing is they were essentially putting nine in the box and just putting their two cornerbacks on an island no safety help or whatever and just saying okay you guys you know don't lose your one-on-one -on -one matchups and I mean they were able to mix in that passing game just effectively enough to you know really uh, you know to keep Argyle off balance and I mean they just had nothing for that run game 391 man. rushing yards 391 it felt like oh double that god I mean it was yeah 7.1 yards per carry and a lot of that just has to do with that just that tightness offensive line that they have and that was um, the way that head coach Todd Rogers of Argyle put it afterwards a very apt way of describing it he said man that offensive line they just consume you and I mean there was I mean between that and just the, the speed of those running backs I mean I'm looking over here Jarquay Walton fi finished up with you know 198 rushing yards Landry Kinney the quarterback at 81 Elisha Cummings at 74 all of them average more than six yards per carry I mean, mm. there was just no resistance whatsoever. And like I said, this game was 100% played the way that LaVega needed it to be played. And then on the other end, Argyle just could not, like... So um, in the first quarter, I want to say, yeah, it was either first quarter or early second quarter, they got a big touchdown from, uh, from Bo Hogaboom to Cole Kirkpatrick. 75 yards, one play, that cut, it to a, to a that cut the deficit to a touchdown. And okay, you're thinking, okay, maybe some signs of life. I think they made it like 10 to, 10 to 6, I want to say. And, um, but after that, though, there just was nothing, man. That secondary was stuck to those wide receivers. They, um, they couldn't get anything on the run game going. You know, uh, I mean, you look Luke Ferris, their lead running back, was eight carries for, for 18 yards. Knox Scoggins, just one carry for one yard. Hogaboom, seven carries, 11 yards. Do you think things would have been different with Tito Bryce? I mean, you look at, listen, you look at that week two matchup and you see that, like, that's because, I mean, Argyle tactically had to approach this game way different from that first one. They ran Tito Bryce 43 times in that first first meeting right. for over 200 yards so not having that meant yeah you essentially had to play a completely different style of football and obviously having to play at a deficit versus playing in front kind of mm -hmm. influences that but um, yeah it just was such an atypical performance from Argyle Hogaboom just completes only 44% of his passes there was three picks you know three touchdowns I mean Cole Kirkpatrick did his thing six hitches 141 yards and two touchdowns because he's amazing mm -hmm. he's essentially the 4A equivalent of Marvin Mims or Jackson Smith and Jigba this year um, but yeah this was just such a uh, such an impressive display by La Vega, man. I mean, that looked like a team that is primed to. I mean, they might be repeating this thing just like but they did yeah, last year. Who's going to beat them now? I, I mean, mm. my, my I mean, I know Carthage is on a roll too. So yeah. that's I mean, I just feel like that kind of is your uh, you know the the projected state championship in the in four A Division one now. But I mean, yeah, that's just considering what Argyle stands for and how they're basically like the Allen of Class four A. I mean, to see them just yeah. get pummeled to that extent. I mean, like I said, you just don't see teams take it to them to that caliber.
caliber. It's usually much more closely contested, but this is now two years, though, because it was last year that LaVega beat him 31-14 to in the playoffs. Something about this matchup has just been, it's been rough on Argyle in recent years, and yeah, they just had a really tough time handling that speed and that size of, uh, of the Pirates on Friday. So yeah, Argyle's done. Uh, let's see, and uh, we can talk, uh, let's talk about Prosper. And give the floor back to you, Brian. Um, is, yes, you got to see, uh, man, what a, what a weekend for just stellar wide receiver play. I got to see the two best offensive players in Texas. It feels like yeah. it, man. So, yeah, you go from watching Marvin Mims do his thing on Friday to turning right around on Saturday, getting to take your first uh, your first look at Rockwall and uh, their all-world receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, uh, man, Prosper put a scare in them early. Yeah, and uh, ultimately, though, it did not, did not ultimately work out, though, for the, uh, for the Eagles. Their season comes to an end, 59-42, to 42, but still, a, a spirited effort by Prosper, it sounds like. Man, I was so excited to see Jackson Smith and Jigba play. I've, I was on the field before the game just so I could see what he looked like up close, man. He, <laughs> he's real. He, he's, this is a real human. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'd only heard legend, legendary stories about him. Uh, but, no, man, it, look, for, like, 10 minutes, like, just sitting in the press box at the beginning of the game, I thought, oh, shoot, Prosper, are they better than what we thought? Are they, is Rockwell maybe not as good as advertised? Is is Prosper just, you know, what's what's working right now? Are they, you know, full, I know they're fully healthy finally. They were, I was told they were missing some key defensive players when they played Jesuit and Allen. Okay. Um, still, maybe not the reason why they lost, but uh, um, you know, they're fully healthy now, and then, you know, they just drove down Rockwell's throat first drive of the game, scored a touchdown with ease. Tyler Bailey was awesome in this game. Yeah. That dude's going to be a stud yeah, for, for Prosper in the next two years. Crazy, he's only Sophomore, he had a real big game, uh, way over 100 total yards, two touchdowns. He had a 75-yarder uh, catch and run in the third quarter where he just broke three or four tackles, he was just burning people, blown up by people. Uh, he looked really good, but yeah, no, they scored on that first drive, and then I think it was two plays later, Braden Locke throws a pick six, and I'm just like, whoa, it's 14 to nothing, less than five minutes into the game, and I'm like, ah, this is not what I expected at all. And then the Rockwell offense finally got the ball and finally, you know, got going a little bit. Um, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba scores his first of six touchdowns uh, on that next drive on a slant. It was like a 14-yard slant. He, most other receivers kind of get tackled somewhere around the five or six yard line. Well, he just broke a tackle, kind of zoomed by another guy, and then he, he basically just teleports into the end zone. He literally did. And then their next drive, just a casual fifty-three yard bomb, you know, in double yeah. coverage, just nothing, nothing crazy there. Um, and then he also added a rushing touchdown, so he scored the next twenty-one points. And then so you blinked, and it was twenty-one fourteen Rockwell. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of never looked back. Prosper kind of. They kept it close. They kept it interesting. Rockwell would, you know, had a comfortable two-possession lead most of the second half, and Rock, uh, Prosper would kind of just chip away. They were just trying to chip away, chip away. They'd score a touchdown. You know, I wasn't really impressed with Rockwell's defense. We kind of knew they were a little suspect. Yeah, they've been they've been had before this season. Yeah, and so the, a shootout is nothing new um, for for Rockwell. But if you get in a shootout with Rockwell. You you better hope you're you're. Uh, I mean, they're perfectly equipped to handle one. Like they that's, are. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and it's not as if they're. It's a one man show. You can't just say we're gonna put three eyes on Jackson and then there's no way. JJ Williams. That's what, yeah. Yeah. He, he had, had a two. Key, yeah. He so touchdown. first play of the second yeah. half. JJ Williams. It was a 66 or 68 yard touchdown down the sideline, and I even tweeted out. I was like, whoa. 
J.J. Williams touchdown, and I put in parentheses, not Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then he did it again in the second half as well. It's like two 60-plus yard bombs to the house. It's like this team, and they weren't running the ball at all. Rockwell could not run the ball against Prosper at all. Which is, which is a bit of an aberration because Rockwell has been a balanced offense for most of the season. See, they were just running into a brick wall every time. They were getting one, two yards of carry, just running into that defensive line. And then they were like, okay. Come on, Jackson. Come on, JJ. They, they, they'd launch it up and then get a big play, and it just it just kept bailing them out all all night long. And Braden Locke, next thing you know, he's four, almost 450 yards and six touchdowns. Jackson Berry, prosper quarterback, he threw over 300 yards and four touchdowns as well. Mm-hmm. Coming off of a season high last week um, in the in the fourth in the third round, and then he he beats that. You know, another season high mm-hmm. for Jackson Berry in first year as a starter with 345 yards. It was it was a fun shootout. But really, after Rockwell took that lead, 21-14, they were. It was close enough for the game to be really interesting, but it was never really any doubt. It yeah. felt like Rockwell was in full control from that yeah. point on. Uh, so, yes, Prosper, their season comes to an end. Still a, a heck of a season for Prosper. Yeah, just their second year in Class yeah. 6A, and they're in the regional finals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just exemplary stuff in Prosper, and they're probably going to be just fine going forward. they got Barry coming back next season. they yeah. got Tyler Bailey. They're not going anywhere, folks. Yeah, Prosper, uh, stellar season for the Prosper Eagles. We can close us out then with a look at the uh, the finale to the uh, the Taps playoffs. Some private school football was uh, all the rage down in a uh, down in Hewitt over the weekend out at Midway Panther Stadium. That's where I was at for a rare noon kickoff on Friday to see if John Paul could complete this uh, this dream storybook season of theirs. And you know what? For as much uh, as many feel good vibes as there's been for John Paul this postseason, they you know they won their first ever playoff game and then they parlay that into a run to their first ever state championship game appearance. You know, sometimes uh, you just lose to a flat-out freaking better team, yep. man, and that's been what Parish Episcopal has been all season. It felt like it was either them or Nolan were kind of the on-paper favorites to, uh, to hoist the Taps Division One state championship, and Parish left no doubt, man. They uh, they win this one 42-14 over John Paul in a game that, you know, kind of like your game, Prosper and Rockwell, had some, like, earmarks early on of, like, okay, perhaps this could be a bit of a different game than expected. You know, this was a game, I mean, they just played five weeks ago when Parrish won that game 47 to 7. You know, and John Paul had showed a uh a bit of a renewed, uh, a renewed sense of spirit since then. They hadn't lost a game, and their defense had just been outstanding, allowing what something like only 13, 14 points per game in the uh, in the games played since, including uh, being just a blowout of Nolan. Which I mean, that really right there was all you needed. To, okay, this John Paul team has arrived as being a legit state title contender, but Parrish just was uh, was not to be denied. Man, that offense is just something else. You know, to hang 42 points on John Paul. Um, you know, a lot of it is you know it centers around that quarterback, and there's Preston Stone. He's one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the country and there were times when you know when John Paul's pass rush broke through got into that backfield and it just didn't matter man Stone is just so elusive he had 17 carries for 146 yards three touchdowns you know 151 yards passing in the touchdown there was just there was no touching him there was no touching their uh, their lead running back Christian Benson who they uh, they did a good job getting him in space all over the field very uh, kind of Alvin Kamara-esque um, you know he has 74 rushing yards and a touchdown 113 receiving yards on seven catches um, they had no answer for him either. Um, you know, John Paul started off the game on a really promising note. They got the, ball, got the ball to begin, marched right down the field, got a 36-yard touchdown from Grayson James to Miles Parker on a nice little play down the seam, and Parker just outraced the defense to the end zone from there. Um, and then, John Paul, there were a couple moments there in the first quarter that really kind of 
shifted momentum back on the on the parish side and you know and I get it you know in a game like this against a team with that caliber you have to take some chances um, you know but John Paul uh, was able to get a turnover in uh, in parish territory recovered a fumble but then they they throw an interception on the following play parish returns that deep into JP territory they go on to score and then John Paul on their next drive they go for it and uh, on fourth down they fake a punt get stuff like a quarter of a yard short really close but that gave parish good field position and they capitalized from there and just uh, John Paul is just never able to get it back um, you know but parish again they've been doing this to everybody all season felt like a team that was really primed for a for a run like this and uh, yeah 42 to 14 it's really no uh, no doubts left in this one as parish was your taps division one state champions Still an incredible season, though, for John Paul. One of the uh, one of the cooler stories, at least in Plano area football, that I've covered in some time with this program. You know, just finally getting on the level of those other juggernauts in the uh, in the Dallas area, because that's now like looking forward. And this was not a you know I said this on Thursday's podcast. This is not just some you know kind of lightning in a bottle playoff run. This is still a John Paul team that has only like ten seniors. Like they're going to be right back in this position next year. Now whether it's enough to get back to a state championship game, we'll see. Because you know there's a reason why. Why the Taps D1 state title has basically been traded around the Dallas area for the last decade or so. Because there's a lot of freaking good teams in the Metroplex, <laughs> especially at the D1 level. Or, or, or recruiting. Yeah. Let's just do it. <laughs> yes. I mean, which, which big stud is Bishop Lynch or Bishop oh, yeah. Dunn or Preston going to go and uh, convince to transfer to, you know, next season? So, I mean, that's just part of it. Oh, yeah. It's just, but like you said, we were, we, we talked about John Paul and, you know, just they've been in so much in the, in the shadow of Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent years, but you know, we you know they, they lost to Dallas Christian early in the season, mm-hmm. and Dallas Christian is is a smaller program, but has been a powerhouse yeah. in recent years. Um, but you know, we kind of joked around, oh, can they beat Bishop Dud? Who's who's going to take John Paul to beat Bishop Dud? Well, I did, <laughs> and they, they won. That was a, a late regular yeah. season game, but I think that's when we just kind of uh, you know in the office kind of said. Okay, well, that's actually kind of a nice win for them. Yeah. Maybe this is a team to kind of keep an eye on. And then obviously that you know the win over Nolan was the big one, but mm-hmm. uh, you know tremendous job by uh, Coach Teague out there. I know, man. It's just yeah, when you look around the Metroplex, there's just it's so loaded. And this is even with the year where you had the the perennial pro powers like Lynch and Dunn and Prestonwood that had at least by their standards kind of either down years or rebuilding years. Um, but this is on top of you know Parish. They're going to be. I mean, they're the favorite next year too because sorry, Preston Stone's only a junior. Uh, what, what was the other uh, running back's name? Uh, Christian Bennett or whatnot. He's only a junior. I mean, so they're going to be right back in this position next season. Christian Benson, I should say. Um, yeah, and this is on top of, you know, Nolan was had a big return to prominence. So it's just, it's really, really tough to get to this position as frequently as teams like, you know, the PCAs and Lynches and Duns have done. But at the very least now, John Paul has put themselves in position to be mentioned in that conversation, and it's not a fluke. Like, they absolutely earned every bit of this season of theirs. And yeah, they're they're just they're just getting started over there at JP2, man. It's a, it's a new era in John Paul II mm-hmm. football. Um, so yes, that is a look at the, the four uh, high school football teams that we uh, had kicking over the week. Weekend, yeah, just uh, just the Lone Star Rangers going forward, though. So um, that'll at least do it for this first half of the podcast. We still had some big happenings, though, just in overall scope of, of athletics with the UIL announcing their uh, the uh, the uh, biennial uh, cutoff numbers in advance of realignment, and we will discuss some of the uh, the local ramifications of that after a quick word from the sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Star Local Media. 14 newspapers and websites with a print distribution of 270,000 homes and monthly pages of 600,000 online. Star Local Media, your community voice for news. And now, let's get back to the podcast. 
And we are back. Um, we're going to shift gears and go from talking high school football to talking about the uh, the release of the UIL's biennial conference cutoff numbers. Um, I don't know where you guys stand on just realignment in general. It's honestly one of my favorite days of the high school athletics calendar. I get so geeked up for realignment and all that it because like basically it just it lays the groundwork for what we're going to be covering for the next two years. The different schools we're going to get to see, you know, the the regions that our teams are going to be competing in, what that means for playoff purposes and whatnot. It's the closest thing to being on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange that we get. It get is, here and it's such an awesome scene. <laughs> when they have the yes, they have the big old gathering out at the Birdville ISD uh, Athletic Complex there every two years. You know, right in I believe February third is the uh, is realignment this year. They do it every two years. But yes, it's, you get you get every coach in the Metroplex. I mean, from all over, and it's well, really about the state. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it just creates, like you described, yeah, the New York Stock Exchange, it's the perfect descriptor for what that scene looks like, is especially once they, uh, you know, when they put the new districts up on the projector, and then you have everybody just going nuts, having to schedule games, and it's just all sorts of chaos, and just you get to, you know, kind of gauge the immediate reaction as if you get placed into a, you know, a district of doom or whatnot, or if you get a really preferable draw or whatever. It's such a, it's such a chaotic scene out there in Birdville, and it's uh, a little under two months away, but we, um, you know, with the release of the conference cutoff number, it's really the first major step towards that because now we at least know what classifications our schools are going to be competing in. And that's significant in the sense that you have some that are jumping classifications altogether to others that are really um, you know, going from like 5A D1 to D2 and whatnot. So let's, um, let's talk about some of, the, uh, some of the ramifications locally from the release of the, uh, of the UIL's conference cutoff numbers. We only have one school that is just outright jumping from one classification to another. And Brian, I don't know if this was anticipated over on um, the over in uh, Little Elm, but uh, yes, man, the Lobos are going to have to start swinging with the heavyweights, at least for these next two years, as uh, Little Elm will be making me jump up to Class 6A. Um, what was your collective reaction when you saw this on uh, on Tuesday? I was shocked. <laughs> I, I thought it, they were going to jump. I knew it was going to be soon. I thought it'd be the next realignment. Okay. They'd go up to 6A. They're preparing for it. You know, they're getting turf baseball, turf softball, all this stuff. They're getting all this you know, new fields, new everything athletically. They're getting ready. I didn't think it was going to be now, and now it's yeah. like, well, and also Denton Braswell is yes. jumping up to six A, which is also very surprising. I mean, they've been around for what four years, five years, something like that. Yeah, and they're going up, and so you got to think. Okay, if we're talking realignment districts, six A districts. You got to think Braswell and Little Elm will be together. They're so close. Mm-hmm. Maybe they get in there with a Prosper. Maybe they're thrown in there with Denton Geyer. Maybe they're thrown in there with. Who else is up there? You start speculating. It's like, well, who is Little I'm going to be paired up with in 6A? Are they going to be thrown in there with, like, Grapevine and Colleyville Hair? Like, well, they're 5A. That's true. Yeah, yeah, so I, but, yeah, so then, sorry, my it jumbles on my brain. So it's like, where are they going to go in 6A? <laughs> are they going to be thrown in with McKinney and... Plano and Allen? It's possible. There's like, because that's like, because then, yeah, when you see where you're, you're going to be in a brand new classification, you, your mind starts racing with like <clears> the <throat> possibilities for what the new district could look like, especially when you're just a one school district yeah. like Little Elm is. You can go so anywhere. You're, yeah, you're Are not going to throw in Louisville and Flyermount? Yeah, you're not like, tethered to any one school. So, yeah, you're, you're very malleable in that sense, and the UIL can send you pretty much anywhere. Um, so, yeah, it could be a place where they, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe they do take the, they feel like the Jesuit spot that's right now in 9 6A, and then they join. Allen and Plano ISD, McKinney ISD, and Prosper. Yikes. Maybe because.
because of the proximity with Braswell. Hey, Braswell's technically located in Little Elm. It is. Um, even though it's part of Denton ISD, you know, they could join that, and then maybe you get them with the Louisville ISD schools, or, you know, perhaps with uh, you know, South Lake and Northwest ISD or whatnot. Yikes. I don't know, man. You can go a bunch of different directions with Little Elm. That's going to be, um, I don't even cover Little Elm, but I'm going to be fascinated to see where they wind up just because, um, yeah, I just, that seemed like a, uh, a bit of an unexpected domino that's fallen. But yes, man, whether they're, whether they're ready for it or not, man, they're going to be... Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be making a, a jump up in classification for at least these next two years. Um, you know, that's really the only, uh, only school that we had that outright jumped to classification. We did have some, though, that, uh, that were uh, you know, 5A Division One in football's sake that dropped down to D2. Devin, you can relate to this with, uh, with Poteet. Um, was that anticipated that Poteet would be making the drop down to D1 to D2? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of... That, you know, when they knew their enrollment figures, you know, a month or so ago, they yeah. figured, you know, it didn't really matter the cutoff uh, that West Mesquite was going to remain Division One, Poteet was going to drop out of Division Two. Um, you know, so since Poteet opened in 1990, these two teams have been division ri or district rivals. Yeah. Now that's going to be the case with all other sports because yeah. they're still Class Five yeah. A. But obviously, you mentioned football with the with the split divisions. Uh, they're not going to be not going to be the same district next year. So. So they could carry on the rivalry uh, probably in the first game of next mm -hmm. season. Yeah. Um, but it makes, uh, you know, it kind of opens up, uh, I guess, that 7-5-8 Division One um, because, you know, you obviously still have West Mesquite, McKinney North, John Tyler, Wiley East, Sherman all stay the same. Mm -hmm. Texas, Texas High also dropped down to Division Two. Okay. Um, and so you, you're left with that five spot if you want to keep it. It's, always, it's already one of the odder uh, geographic districts in the, in the, yeah. out there because you got John Tyler, you got Sherman, and you got you know it's just all over the place. Um, and another caveat that, that could, could add to this district is the fact that Longview dropped down from six A to five A Division One. That's right. Well, the East Texas schools have always been up. The larger East Texas schools have always had a problem because there's just not very many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Tyler Lee's out there on an island. Yeah. You know, is the only six A program once again now, and so they just you know geographically speaking, it makes sense to link them with the Mesquite schools. So you know, expect that to continue. And now with that. You know, that district mm -hmm. dropped down to five teams. Uh, it's just the most logical thing. John Tyler's already in the district. Longview now as a Division One. Um, you know, you add that to a mix, which is already a good top-to-bottom district. And it just, uh, you know, it's going to make things a lot more interesting. You, you know, you also have a team, a Royce City team, a growing Royce City oh, yeah. a high school. Won a couple uh, rounds to, this year. To, to Division One. Um, you know, they're obviously a good bet since they're also, they're not East Texas, but they're East of the Metroplex. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they're a good bet to join that mix as well. Uh, whereas Poti dropping down to Division Two, you're probably looking at uh, a lot of their, you know, 13-5A mates with your 40s and, yeah. and Terrells and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it's like I said, that 7-5A Division One. I, I wish Kendrick was here because uh -huh. he's, I know he's been spouting McKinney North all year. Yeah. And he, he said, and he, hey, they backed him up. They mm -hmm. won the district. I wonder if he'd be proclaiming the same thing with Longview in that district. You know, so. He might, man. Well, he compared them to Highland Park yeah. a few weeks ago on the podcast, so it wouldn't surprise me if he said they'd beat Longview, too. Um, so, yeah, this is, once again, like the 5A ones that we had changed were just for football sakes because 5A is the only one that has the Division One. Football is the only one that has the D1, D2 structure. So all the other sports, you know, West Mesquite and Poteet are still going to be rivals. Um, it's that same case with uh, the uh, the Carrollton Farmers Branch ISD trio was broken apart for, uh, yeah, for football. 
football That's sake. That'd be weird. With a yeah. Creek View, yeah, Creek View yeah. will be dropping down from 5A D1 to D2. Now, much like that with Poteet, they're still going to keep, at the very least, the Newman-Smith rivalry is for sure going to be intact um, for these next two years. You know, I talked to head coach Jay Klein last week, and he said they are still going to schedule the, the Trojans on their non-district schedule. Still up in the air what to do with R.L. Turner and whatnot, but at the very least, you won't be losing, you know, entirely all of the CFBISD games, um, which does, you know, because that's been something at the very least, like, they've been in such a tough district these last two years. Oh, yeah. That, um, you know, those games at the very end of the season kind of had a nice little symbolic, you know, meaning for that uh, for that community, especially with Newman Smith and Creekview playing on the final night of the regular season. So it is good to at least keep that keep that uh, tradition going. I know that's a game that really, you know, galvanizes the community out there in Carrollton and whatnot. And um, so Creekview drops down from 5A D1 to D2, and we'll see. Maybe they can, I mean, heck, it can't get any tougher than, you know, being in the same district as, you know, Ryan and Birdville and Grapevine and Colleyville Heritage and whatnot. So, uh yeah, they'll be at the very least looking at probably at least, you know, you'd assume a more preferable draw going forward. Um, then you had Frisco Reedy, which is going to be bumping up from 5A D, uh, D2 up to D1, presumably to join the rest of the Frisco yeah. schools. And you're thinking just from, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, the UIL can can throw whatever monkey wrench they want into the... They uh, should take Little M spot. Yes. If it makes look, the most sense. Yeah, if you look at the front, the 5A D1 alignment right now where you have those upper-level Frisco schools plus the Colony um, plus Little M for these last two years with Little M moving up to 6A, it would just make sense that mm-hmm. Reedy slides in and uh, and takes that spot. But, um, but yes, Reedy, which um, has had two, uh, again, two playoff years in, uh, in 7-5A D2, one that obviously led to brighter pastures than another. But, um, yes, you get to see... Uh, you know, I guess the uh, the long-awaited Reedy Lone Star matchups on the football field. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not the no. same. Um, but then you had, uh, let's see, elsewhere, uh, Salina. Salina's uh, their fortunes also changed. They are free from the uh, having Argyle lord over their district and whatnot. They will be making the drop down from 4A D1 to D2. I would assume that they're uh, probably a nice collective fist pump there over in Salina for that one, Brian. There you go. They don't have to play Melissa either. Yeah. yeah so Melissa and Argyle have been a thorn in their mm-hmm. back for the last couple of years. Well, instead, you get the East Texas schools like Gilbert and Pleasant Grove. Uh, and, uh, but <laughs> well, uh, now that'd be, that'd be shocking. Uh, see, and we talked about that. Is Sunnyvale and Salina going to be in the same district now? But they're so far apart. But I mean, that's I mean, what happens when you're... But they're in a district now with Caddo Mills and Farmersville and, yeah. and the likes. There's just, you know, Sunnyvale is one of those odd... It's, it's a small town tucked in the middle of the Metroplex. I mean, yeah. Sunnyvale's in the middle of a skeet, Rowlett. I mean, neighbor five minutes from Dallas. And so the schools they play are, are usually out further from the Metroplex a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a very good chance that they're that, that they'll be in the same district as Salina. That'd be a fun matchup, yeah. Sunnyvale Salina. And I just love like the trickle down effect because now with Littleham and Braswell moving up to six A, that takes two teams out of the current eight five A alignment with Lake Dallas and the Colonies. So you know that things are going to be looking much different for those schools next year. I don't know. It's just such a. I mean, again, I have to kind of di- you know take interest in other markets because there's never any doubt where Allen and Plano ISD are going to wind yeah. up when it comes to the uh, the realignment numbers. The bigger intrigue is just okay. What's the uh, what's the enrollment figure going to be this time for Allen? And uh, sure enough, they are uh, what 41 kids shy of 7,000, which as you can measure, as you can imagine, was met with a very measured and calm response on social media. Nobody at all raising up a stink about that. And well, that's three different 6A schools. Is that is my math right? I'm not good at math, but that could be three. Di- that's for sure three different five A's. Because yeah. I think we uh, we took the because uh, yeah we did we do the exercise. We took the uh, the enrollment of what was it South Garland is the smallest six A school. Well, yeah, they opted up. They're yeah, actually yeah. five A numbers, but yeah, they're 
But if you took the enrollment of, uh, of South Garland relative to Allen's, and I think Allen is like 3.1 times larger than yeah. South wow. Garland. Well, which Allen's band is almost a 5A program. <laughs> I mean, they're just under the 5A. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Wait, so South Garland chooses to be in 6A? Or they're choosing to now? Yeah, they, them and Naaman Forest both opted up in the last... Naaman Forest actually did... Ahead I didn't know that. Line. Mm -hmm. South Garland did drop down to 5A. A uh, few years, ago. years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. They were in that district with Poteet and mm -hmm. West Mesquite and whatnot, and they, it didn't work out well for them. They, they wanted to change. They thought it would be more competitive, and it just they got thrown into a tough 5A district. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and then just the travel aspect. They weren't traveling far. It wasn't like the, it was a huge... Because South Garland's like almost in Mesquite anyways. It's, it's not far. Well, it's, it's not far, but mm -hmm. they also had, you know, Thorny and Terrell. It was, oh, they want to stay with GIST. And, and, and yeah, yeah. they lost a lot of those rivalries because, you know, there's seven GIST programs. Well, there's only three non-district games. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they lost the, they lost the annual game with Garland. They lost the annual game with North Garland. Yeah, and, yeah. and they just, you know, decided it wasn't worth it. They, they tried it for two years mm -hmm. and decided it was a mistake. So, yeah, they, they opted opted up. And Makes sense. Yeah. So, it's just... Elsewhere, uh, form kind of hold up, held elsewhere. It was going to be curious to see how um, how Prosper's enrollment was going to be impacted by the uh, the development well, they, of Rock they Hill. Still grew, right? It, they, they didn't grow. Now they dropped, but not a ton. It was just I think just a couple hundred kids yeah, that they okay. lost. So, um, so yeah, there was kind of some okay. Well, is Prosper going to be six A going forward with like how many kids is Rock Hill going to be accounting for? Um, Rock Hill, their enrollment checked in at let's see, they're another five A Division two. It was seventeen ninety eight, so they're going to be five yeah five A D two for football sake they'll be in class 5a to begin um prosper though they said they only lost a couple hundred kids if that um their overall enrollment was uh, 2699 so at the very least i think their um mckinney actually has the uh, larger enrollment them now so they did drop below mckinney um in terms of the current 96a programs but they're still going to be 6a so yeah i mean hey they, they've handled it just fine so far so you would expect uh, that just to continue going forward for them now this isn't this is obviously not a team we cover but we see them all the time in the playoffs and stuff i'm surprised we haven't brought them up yet the, the one team that everyone was talking about yes. on Tuesday in Highland Park yes how they magically <laughs> every realignment every yeah. re-enrollment period whatever yeah. they're always what are they 11 students short of 6A yeah. it was Highland they're Park plus 11 this year was the, was the cutoff and there, uh, there's some Highland Park plus 5 is pretty old <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny seeing the, yeah. the Matt uh, step tweet about the conspiracy theories and everything well, on Twitter yeah, and everyone's and, just losing and their minds Park did go up to 6A you know, for yeah, and yeah. they didn't. Yeah, they didn't fare too well up there. I mean, compared know, to being yeah, five they, they their football, I guess, got knocked out in the second round um, both years. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, their their other sports are still strong yeah. across the board. They're still going to win tennis every year, yes, regardless yes. of what classification and golf, they're in. And golf, yeah, yeah, um, and girls soccer. Yeah, so I, you know, and I don't. You know, you mentioned Prosper. That you know, how do you say see the not current nine six A? I mean, you mentioned possibly Little Elm mm -hmm. joining in because. Yeah. I was looking at 11-6A, which had seven teams. That's the three Mesquite schools, the two Rockball schools, Tyler Lee, because they lose Long Beach. Okay. So you're down to a 16 district there. So, you know, they traditionally like 18 districts. Uh -huh. I mean, this, this wouldn't be out of the ordinary to have a 16. No doubt. But do you... Throw in Brazo and Little Elm? You know what? Stranger things have happened. And if they... You, you talk about the travel. Well, yeah. Tyler Lee's coming from, you know, 90 minutes east. I mean, there's a... You know, Skyline is the only Dallas ISD 6A mm -hmm. left out there. They would make sense geographically speaking. Um, but yeah, you got kind of have Florida. That's why I was asking about 968 because you need know, to have a prosper. You know, Wiley's out there. Wiley makes the most sense to stay with the Garland District. Mm -hmm. But they've also that, 
you, you could have said that a decade ago, and yeah. they've been lumped in with the Planos and the Allens before. So a, a team like Prosper that's kind of out there on its own in terms of being the only 6A program in that district. Okay. Or like the Little Elm and Braswell, who don't really have any kind of connect, current connection with 6A programs. Do, you float, do, do they dance around and, and you know, factor into that mix with those schools? What about maybe because they're a little bit more, uh, they're at least east of those two schools, what about McKinney ISD? McKinney Board yes. and McKinney. Because if I'm thinking just that it would be six right now, so if you need two to round it out to eight, I mean that could—that's a possibility, I guess. Yeah. I mean they're going to keep they're going to keep Allen and Plano ISD tethered to sure, you know, sure. tethered to one another for sure. But with McKinney ISD, I mean they've, they, they, I mean Boyd was in the Garland ISD district, you know, a, yeah. a handful of years ago. So there at least is mm. precedent of them breaking apart. Um, and it's always just such a fascinating, <laughs> like, because we always, like, I've tried uh, for the last, what, two or three realignment cycles to, like, based on all the research and whatnot that I'll try to do beforehand to predict what uh, what the UIL is going to land on. And it's always, like, you always know that it's going to be Allen and Plano ISD and, you know, at least for now, McKinney ISD. But then it's always, like, that seventh and eighth spot that, like, is, you know, like, I, who would have been there with Richardson? The, um, not too long. They've ago? been yeah. That's been it's been a long time. Okay. That was back in like the in the two thousands and whatnot. But they've had like with Louisville ISD in that district of death for oh, a, yeah. for a few a uh, few years here and there. There was them throwing Geyer in there, which was a complete curveball, which well, would be very akin to like taking like a Prosper and sending them out to Mesquite. And, and do you do you throw Skyline in with that group because Skyline's one of the largest schools yeah. in, in the state. Mm. Just from an, an enrollment thing, it's mm -hmm. like okay, well, we'll put Skyline. I mean, we got the four biggest schools in Texas. Skyline's probably in the top ten. Yeah, let's go ahead and put Skyline in with that group just to oh. just to throw, and then we'll move you know one of those other teams out and move Jesuit out or you know Jesuit. You know, you mentioned them as a wild card yeah. that float around oh, Prosper. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things, and it's you mentioned trying to predict it. It's it's almost impossible. That'd be <laughs> uh, man. This is this is getting my blood pumping. I'm fired up for real it, man. Yeah, just. Uh, just about seven weeks to go until the uh, until they reveal the new athletic districts for the 20, uh, 2020 through twenty twenty two school years and whatnot. It should be uh, should be fascinating theater, and we'll obviously be previewing that a bit more as we get closer to that February uh, drop date. But um, but yeah, that's a look at at least some of the local ramifications from the OIL's release of the conference cutoff numbers, and that'll uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. Uh, Devin and Brian, appreciate you all for tagging along, folks. We'll be back on Thursday to preview first goal on start and Denton Ryan. And plus, talk a little basketball as we're uh, next. Everybody except for Brian's having to sing all the way entirely into basketball <laughs> coverage now. So, um, yeah, talk a little hoops later on this week. Uh, folks, you enjoy your week, and we will talk to you all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.